this kind of uh, resilience and uh, capability to survive transformations. It comes from uh, uh, respect between people. It comes from trust. It comes from uh, enthusiasm and motivation and humor. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the NLN podcast. The NLN is the Nordic Leadership Network. We're a team of seven coaches, facilitators, speakers, and leaders. We help develop the leaders of today and tomorrow. We challenge teams to achieve high performance. We help companies to implement strategy and get stuff done so they can flourish and grow. So, good morning. Welcome to podcast number eight. I'm David Goddard, president of the Nordic Leadership Network, and together with my colleagues Nick Vertigans and Stefano Mosconi, we're going to be discussing today with Danali Tikka. Welcome, Danali. Thank you. Thanks for having me here. No problem at all. And Danali, I've just been thinking a little bit about how to introduce you. And um, there's a lot of things that we could say, but maybe what you're working on at the moment is partner with 52nd and with Epistemic, the um, investment funds. And then also that you are a seasoned executive, entrepreneur, investor, and board member with 20 years plus of experience. I notice that you have received various awards during your career, Young Board Member of the Year, ICT Opinion Leader of the Year, and also Scrooge McDuck of Finland. Of Hmm. course, of all of those things, we want to hear (laughs) about the Scrooge McDuck of Finland (laughs) Award. What can you tell us about that? That was a lot of fun. The Donald Duck magazine here in Finland, they wanted to select uh, real life uh, people to represent Donald Duck, uh, Scrooge, and uh, then also what's the unusually lucky character called again, the cousin of, of, of Donald who's super lucky. And then uh, or also Gyro Gear Lewis, this inventor guy. And anyways, they selected four characters and uh, they wanted to fa- find a real life match for each one. So the the Alpine skiing champion Kalle Palander, he was selected as Donald Duck. And then I was selected as Scrooge. And uh, with that selection, they thought that, okay, everyone knows Scrooge as a crumby old uh, <laughs> multi jillionaire but uh, he, he was also young once, and when he was young, he was an entrepreneur, an adventurer, and an archaeologist, and uh, doing all of these amazing things uh, throughout his life and career. Uh, and and uh, they wanted to find a, a young person to represent Scrooge, especially this entrepreneurial, uh, sort of pioneering uh, spirit. And that's why they ended up, uh, ended up picking me as the prime nominee for that <laughs> it was so, super fun to do it so- sounds like um scrooge has had a bad press over the years so <laughs> <laughs> if we think about that the, the the early years maybe there's the fit there with that entrepreneurial spirit yeah maybe um, i'm heading towards grumpy old age as well that it happens <laughs> to us all <laughs> okay but danny great to have us with you today um we'd like to ask you first of all um about perspective on the on the current crisis so we've been talking with different guests and different parts of the world um, recently we've been to Abu Dhabi and we our last episode we went to East Africa and we heard something about uh, something from the from the Horn of Africa about resilience um, and um, uh, Abdijama mentioned that uh, patience persistence and realism are some of the characteristics that 
he feels that will help um, Smiley's endure and bounce back. How do you see things um, in Finland? You've worked in, in many countries and you have a very wide network internationally. Um, what, what are you seeing around, um, around the world, but also particularly in, in Finland, the characteristics that you think will help Finns to bounce back and endure the current crisis? Yeah, I think we have some characteristics and experience from the past that will help us. Uh, one of the curious things about Finnish uh, business life and society uh, is that it's it's uh, fairly uh, relaxed in terms of uh, formal hierarchy and uh, and people get a lot of uh, autonomy and they get to do a lot of things, but still sort of the very major sort of national level decisions uh, whether it be with uh, government or companies or some other organizations, they tend to be very concentrated still uh, in Finland. So it's kind of a top-down uh, hierarchy of a few people when it comes to the super uh, massive things. And uh, Finns have a curious characteristic there that uh, when there is an alignment, uh, what to do in a crisis, for example, and uh, the people in power decide, then usually uh, everyone takes the decision to heart and, and they act and execute on it uh, really efficiently and, and fast that they don't uh, stand, to stand, stand there second guessing or complaining or trying to fight the decisions that they, they usually take it and, and execute on it. And this is, uh, this is frustrating if, uh, if you have a majority that's uh, sort of not yet uh, come to the right conclusion and the decisions are still being formed, then you are sort of lagging in decision making and then there's a risk that things get prolonged and, and, and time goes to waste. But once there is sort of an alignment, there's enough of a shared view that this is what we must do and the decision gets made, then Finns, I think, are very good at executing it. Hmm. So I think it was um, Francis Fukuyama that described Finland as a, a high trust culture. And I hear from your answer there that there's a lot of trust in the decision makers and the authorities, the politicians and scientists in Finland. And that, that's um, certainly very helpful. Um, Stefano, what about you? What, what, do you, what do you see from, um, also you have a, a bicultural perspective on these things. Yeah, I think that this, uh, this that Tani said is, is quite, uh, quite accurate. Uh, I, I, can, I can relate uh, to, to the opposite end of the spectrum where, where in Italy, for instance, if, uh, if a decision is made, then you are not very sure if the majority will actually uh, go with the same with the same decision. So in a way, I really appreciate this characteristic of, uh, of Finns uh, on the other hand, um, as, as Tani said, there might be some risks if that decision is not is not made, and um, in a way, uh, everybody is waiting for someone to to tell what is the the official line. So there, I think I think there are there are both both sides of the coin in this case. But as long as decisions that are made are made fast and are the uh, kind of backed by, by data and facts, I think uh, in this kind of crisis, that's definitely a characteristic that helps. Okay, thank you. And uh, Nick, what about you? What have you been hearing? How does this build on the conversation that we've been having already around the uh, cross-cultural perspectives? Thanks, David. Very interesting. So I'm hearing 
top-down decision-making alignment and following the rules from Danelli. And I'm just interested to know how, uh, how much following of the rules does Danelli do? Following the rules? Yeah. Uh, I usually don't find it helpful uh, if I don't agree with the rules. And uh, somehow for me, the world is full of rules that are uh, hindering, restricting and detrimental. And uh, they might be rules that are created for another purpose and another time mm-hmm. and uh, Ill- ill-suited for innovation and spearheading uh, forward with something new. And especially at those times, uh, I-, I tend to not follow the rules, uh, but, I- but I still do follow uh, something like lean startup practices and uh, mm-hmm. proven proven things that work in uh, uh, sort of a different dynamic uh, setting because I, I think that you you have to be, have to pick up the kind of tools from the toolbox that are suitable to the task and uh, yeah. there's way too much uh, ill-suited conservative old-fashioned tools in this world <laughs> that don't apply <laughs> to something new and that that's my main problem with following the rules. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that might be an interesting question to put to you. I know that before we before we hit record today, we were talking about your um, you know transformational learning program and particularly how to how to handle in a crisis. So how to help startups, for example, manage that crisis situation. What's your um, what's your approach to that? I'd, I'd be really interested to hear. You know, how do you help people and startups and companies to to handle themselves in in a crisis situation? Maybe like now. Yeah, it's really something that uh, gets built uh, more during when the times are calm. That uh, when the crisis hits, there's uh, usually not enough time. Uh, to build up everything that needs to be there uh, in order for team teams to uh, perform at peak performance levels. But transformational leadership is one of these uh, branches of leadership sciences that's been uh, going around for uh, some, uh, well, it started sometime after the Second World War. And there, there have been these uh, famous academics, James McGregor Burns, uh, Bernhard Boss, uh, Bruce Avolio, and, and many other ones uh, who've spent decades uh, publishing and researching this, this stuff. And um, originally, when they were coming out of uh, the Second World War, uh, they started to interview organizations that had done spectacularly well uh, during wartime and also organizations that had sort of uh, imploded and um, have ha, had had not done uh, well at all uh, during the war and uh, they ended up doing these kind of structured uh, interviews all together uh, in, in the span of decades all together almost uh, half a million of them so like uh, thousands and thousands of interviews mm-hmm. and what they discovered uh, in the interviews is that these organizations that uh, did very well uh, in stressful times during the war uh, they shared uh, many of the similar characteristics uh, they they essentially did the same things and um, then they distilled uh, these things that the organizations uh, were doing they distilled them to a couple of theses and um, uh, they declared that it seems uh, that this kind of uh, resilience and uh, capability to survive transformations and to lead transformations, it comes from uh, uh, respect between people, it comes from trust, it comes from uh, enthusiasm and motivation and humor and these kind of uh, 
positive things and positive outlook towards uh, one another. And then it also comes from learning, shared learning, collegial learning, uh, learning together. And it comes from uh, the absence of negative control and from the absence of uh, negative passivity. So these are the things uh, that uh, get practiced in, in good organizations that want to be resilient and want to be high in their capabilities of transforming and surviving something. That you, you build up these things during when times are peaceful and when tough times hit, uh, whether or not it, it's a startup or some other organization, then you'll be able to draw on those uh, resilient reserves and, and uh, sort of hold on to that potential and, and use it. But it's uh, next to impossible to build this all up in, in a day. <laughs> if the crisis happens, uh, you, can, you can start working on it, but it's, it's going to be a long journey. Yeah, yeah, indeed. So it's a marathon, not a sprint. And I guess you have to lay the foundations for such kind of concepts as respect, trust, enthusiasm, humor, and learning, which, which you mentioned. So I guess this, this takes, takes time. Um, it Dave, does, yeah. yeah, really interesting. David Stefano, what have you just heard from Danelli? Um, lots of interesting stuff. So um, I hear that Danelli is already thinking about the future, and I think that the um, transformational leadership approach is is very interesting way of dealing with crisis. I also hear um, thinking about your background and, and experience, Danelli, that um, for example, um, Fifty Second is the first venture builder in the Nordics, and you you have a lot of experience of of going first and being first. Um, there's something that we've been asking all of our guests, which is about habits and new new things that are coming from this situation. And um, maybe if we could take a little glimpse into the future, what would you see that the the um, this virus has already changed quite a few things in in um, behavior in human beings how do you think that this will change in the future so what are the if you had to pick three things what do you think will stay with us after COVID-19 oh there's uh, going to be so many 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 things that sort of three really big things uh, is going to be a shift in education educational technology and how education gets uh, remotely conducted instead of uh, sort of uh, the usual uh, premier on-campus experience of old-fashioned education. Um, the thing with education is that it's uh, really not changed that much, that uh, even when they started with universities hundreds of years ago, uh, it was still the same kind of concept uh, as it has been uh, almost up until today. And that's certainly now uh, finally uh, obsolete for good, and there's going to be a lot more interesting times ahead. Uh, globally for education and some some new big companies uh, emerging as well uh, who will use technology to take that to the next level and it's the same with uh, with medicine with tele telemedicine and how uh, doctors keep on touch uh, with their patients so many countries they run medical systems and um, healthcare systems that are uh, also these kind of on-premise on uh, experiences only for the customers but now we are seeing, uh, because of the pandemic, that many countries are uh, rolling out telemedicine in an accelerated schedule. That, uh, for example, uh, France uh, is, is famous for having a very good healthcare system. And they have this uh, 
family doctor system where you have your own uh, doctor of the family and almost every doctor is a, is a private practice and you get to choose uh, which one you go to. And uh, France, for example, now has uh, uh, telemedicine software and services available for free for any French doctor to use uh, to be in touch with their patients. And they, uh, they announced that it's free now uh, during the pandemic. So something like that is going to spread. It's going to become the new normal and uh, they won't return to the old uh, uh, house calls uh, where, where a doctor in France uh, drives over to your chateau or whatever and, and does a house call. They will continue with telemedicine, I'm, I'm sure. And then uh, there's going to be significant transfer transformations also in, in the web stores and online commerce, especially when it comes to uh, uh, I, I think both both edges of the spectrum, these kind of uh, typical groceries and supermarket stuff uh, will get uh, more uh, delivery services than ever before and more web shopping than ever before. But then also all sorts of specialist uh, trade, whether or not it's uh, exotic parts for your uh, hobby, uh, gear or whatever, that kind of thing is... is uh, almost getting abolished from from uh, mom and pop type of shops and from the street corner and it's going to move online almost exclusively so these are the big changes i think that's uh, that are going to settle for good but then there are so many other other things as well and we might see new funny funny things uh, emerge like uh, imagine tinder and imagine dating uh, after the pandemic now that you could possibly see a lot of voluntary action in people installing apps uh, that show certificates that they are tested and healthy, and then they get the date because of that. These <laughs> companies. Great. Uh, well, thanks, Stanley. So you, uh, we asked for three, and you mentioned uh, education, medicine, and e-commerce, and then we got a fourth one as a bonus: dating. Um, <laughs> Stefano, how about you? What, what are you hearing about transformation and the future? Yeah, I'm, I'm not planning to use any dating apps in the future. I'm, I'm already covered on that side. Uh, but, but I think that, um, I, I think that the word is, uh, is uh, this digitalization that we have been waiting for and talking about for 20 plus years. Now, in, in just the span of two months, has happened very, very quickly. And it kind of shows how unless human beings are forced to do something, they, they don't think about the future, they, they don't change. Uh, so that that's, I think, shows how much, how difficult it is for us to change our habits. Uh, we, we kept going to the to the corner store, we kept going and calling our our doctor, and, uh, and, and we kept sending our kids to school, because there was no other, there was no need to change. Uh, and now that the, the need to change came so suddenly, so quickly, probably we're going to see those things change forever. And I mean, uh, in Italy, which is not the most advanced country in the world, uh, we, we have managed, they have managed to, to de kind of deploy this, the, this remote education in the span of very few days, uh, thanks to some startups actually as well. Uh, but, you know, we, we didn't feel the need up until until a few weeks ago and, and nobody did it. And I think that, that Finland might actually go, go through the same. And Finland having one of the best school systems in the world, uh, how, how can it be even better? That's, that's probably uh, with the help of technology. So how does technology uh, fuel all these changes? Uh, it's, it's, I think, interesting, but how, how much our psychology resists these changes 
is also interesting as well. And Nick, what are you hearing? I'm hearing some uh, some great ideas about where to where to look and where to invest in future. And it's very interesting uh, listening to Tantley and Stefano there. Um, Stefano said something like, "It's only when humans are forced to change that they do and they create new habits." And I think that's really interesting. And and you know, looking at my my two kids this morning on their daily school class conference calls and they're slowly but surely getting really confident and competent using the the software the tools and i sense that more and more the the kids are getting involved in in classroom activities now whereas a couple of weeks ago in the old world maybe the quieter kids weren't able to to show up as much so i think it's really interesting at least point about the family doctor in france and you know web stores and online commerce and medicine. I think this is it's really interesting stuff. Final question for Tanneli. If you were given 10 million euros right now, which I suspect you, you, you might be, but uh, where would you invest in what kind of company that you wouldn't have picked a couple of months ago? Yeah, that's an interesting question. And uh, there's a bunch on the stock market that look uh, interesting right now, that there are all of these uh, new and upcoming coming, uh, challengers in uh, consumer electronics, companies like uh, Xiaomi, the Chinese maker of uh, all sorts of uh, new interesting home appliances, uh, rice cookers and, and whatnot. Companies like that, all of a sudden, they, they have an edge because they, they sell something that people mm. right now feel feel like they want and they do it uh, completely in a new way, uh, set apart from the uh, old and conservative companies that uh, surround the marketplace otherwise. So those are interesting. And uh, I would also look at startups differently now uh, with this situation. And one of the areas that I've been thinking is uh, all sorts of uh, coping mental health, uh, getting your finances together, uh, keeping your headspace clean type of apps. And uh, there are many promising startups out there for that, that help people with uh, focus, help people with meditation, help with better sleep. Uh, these kind of things, they suddenly feel like they are uh, more urgent than they, than they were before and they have more of an impact. Uh, this kind of extended uh, quarantine and, and pandemic situation is uh, uh, not uh, the ideal circumstances for many people's mental health. And uh, it's these kind of uh, apps and solutions that I feel are something that quite can quite quickly be a part of uh, uh, remedying and, and then sort of rectifying the situation back to a more sustainable level where people feel feel better. So all of a sudden they are very interesting to me right now. Um, well, thank you very much, Tanali. So um, some, some good tips there and certainly investing in um, sustainability and uh, domestic appliances and uh, mental health apps and so forth. I think all of those are certainly going to help us be resilient and get through the through the crisis to to the next stage. So thanks for the conversation today. And thank you for Stefano and Nick for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. It's been, it's been great. Do you have a quote for us today, uh, David? <laughs> <laughs> David's quote, yeah. Uh, um, I <laughs> he who dares wins. Yeah. 
Um, okay, so um, here's my quote for the today. It's um, it's from the Tao Te Ching, and it is: "When I am most destroyed, then I am about to grow." Hey, listener, it's Stefano here. Since you got until here, we think that you might like the podcast. It would mean so much if you could leave us a five-star review and share this with as many of your friends as possible. This will help us be discovered and spread the news. Can you just take five minutes and do that for us? Thank you.